This is the Digital Health, Digital Capitalism podcast. Welcome back to this, which is the final Digital Health, Digital Capitalism podcast in the series. And apologies, there's been a bit of a gap between this and the previous one. Uh, but I just haven't been able to get it, uh, get this one edited over the last couple of weeks. Um, so I missed my um, my usual uh, rhythm for the releasing these uh, episodes. Uh, but I finally uh, got it done this time, and I think you'll um, hopefully agree that it's it'll be worthwhile. Um, so I'll pass over onto my interview with Aristia Fotopoulou uh, in a few minutes. Um, but this is the last episode, but I will be back again with a new podcast series uh, later on this year, which will be something on a slightly different topic. But uh, do keep an eye out for that. Um, if you want to see when that new podcast comes out, or if you've got anything to say about this episode, then you can find me on Twitter at Chris H. Till. You can see my blog with a list of all of the, the episodes in this series, um, which you can find at thisisnotasociology.blog. Uh, so, over to the interview. Hello. So, uh, today I'm talking to Aristia Fotopoulou, who is Senior Lecturer in Media and Communications at the University of Brighton and who is doing some fantastic work on gender and technology and digital media and feminist activism. So, hi, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. Great to uh, meet you again. <laughs> yes, you too. Yeah, thanks for um, for talking to me um, for this podcast. Uh, I've been really looking forward to speaking to you for, for a while and he- hearing more about your, your research. Um, so I'm going to have a chat with Aristia um, about some of the work she's been doing um and which i think intersects with a lot of the the themes the digital health digital capitalism themes that i've been looking at and kind of opens this out into uh, specifically into areas around gender and um around uh, activism and, and 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 feminism as well which um i think will make a really great contribution um so um i just wonder if if initially you could just tell me a little bit about um what it, what it is you've been working on um broadly recently yeah, so I've been looking at uh, a few things that um, yeah that um, you very nicely introduced already. So um, I've been looking at the quantified self as a community um, when I was over at the states um, for for a while, um, a couple of years ago. Um, but then I kind of took this research a little bit further. Um, as you know, I've been working on uh, wearable sensors and I've been looking closely at Fitbit um, in terms of its um, what, what we've, be, we've been calling uh, biopedagogical um, attributes and um, the ways that people learn with the technology. But then I kind of became a little bit more interested in what happens with um, these new self-tracking technologies and other kinds of technologies as well, emerging technologies around data and data practices, and what happens with gender, because this seems to be something that um, has not really been addressed um, much lately. Um, and I've, I've been looking at um, specific apps. I've been looking at um, fertility apps and pregnancy um, apps and monitoring 
um, in terms of their, you know, the 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 gendered discourses, but also in relation to um, to capitalism and neoliberalism. Um, and I've been, you know, thinking about what these practices mean in terms of how we do activism today. So kind of expanding my work on digital media and activism and feminist activism in particular, trying to think through these everyday practices of monitoring and what these mean in terms of, you know, their affordances and how they allow us to um, to perform some kind of activist identity or to perform citizenship, basically, and participation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So that that's... Straight away, there's a couple of things that are really interesting to me, which is this notion of biopedagogy and as these these, these apps and devices as being a, a way of um, uh, learning, really, and the yeah. gendered thing. So we'll, we'll come on to the gender in a second, but could you expand a bit more on how you think that this, uh, how can we see these kinds of apps as, as pedagogic learning devices or technologies? Is that how you would characterise it? Yeah, so um, we wrote an article with, that I think you've already read with uh, Kate Riordan, uh, who is at Sussex. Yeah. Uh, and um, we thought about how these practices, and I, I kind of called them their micro-practices, so kind of everyday practices of um, of using these digital technologies, especially in relation to fitness um, tracking, um, and we thought about how they may have some kind of pedagogical dimension and how this means um, different things, how it means learning about the technology. So, you know, it's it's not just about learning um, um, how to use the technology, but it's actually about normalizing the use of these technologies and these digital practices um, and how they may offer some form of expertise that is different to what we've been used to um, with a medical professional. So it may be that they are offering um, a mode of expertise that has that comes back to the self, so it comes back to the user. So the user themselves becomes um, um, the knowledgeable subject, but also the, um, the, the source of knowledge, if you, if you see what I mean. So, yes. So it's kind of there's a few things there that um, that I think are playing out. So there's this this idea of biopedagogy. It um, it tries to um, describe how we're learning to keep fit, to keep well, to keep um, you know healthy, and uh, whatever that means, um, and that this in a way um, you know trains us to self care, to become these very uh, kind of ideal neoliberal subjects that you know, take care of themselves um, in, in a Sicordian uh, sense. So this is where also the idea of um, governmentality comes in and the governmentality of, um, uh, of data tracking and especially fitness data tracking. So data tracking that has to do with the body. Um, so it's a process of learning um, the behaviors that have to do something with self-care and what is actually acceptable as as a mode of being um, this kind of fit and healthy subject in this neoliberal uh, landscape of health and digital health, which is, um, you know, clearly uh, promoted by digital health agendas um, of the both the European Union, but also national agendas. And of course, in the States much earlier than, um, than, than Europe. Yeah. And so 
you you've connected this a few times to the to a kind of a neoliberal um, philosophy or or ideology. Um, how, how specifically would you see that playing out? Is that through the kind of the um, the, 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 sort of the feedback loops that are encouraged by the self-tracking devices uh, and or the kind of the, the, the normalizing you spoke about in relation to comparison to st- sort of statistical norms? Would it be those kinds of ideas? Yeah, it's, it's normalizing this kind of behavior that um, involves some, some form of self-care and monitoring the self um, constantly. So how in our everyday lives, you know, we normalize the use of digital devices that, uh, that help us to monitor ourselves and to, to manifest some kind of care of ourselves and to manifest that we are basically um, behaving properly. We are the good citizens who are taking care of themselves so that they're not uh, becoming a burden to the state and to the welfare state, right? So, you know, yeah. it, it links to, you know, to the crisis of the welfare state and mm. um, and how, you know, the responsibility is being moved to the individual. And this is, of course, a diagnosis that, is, you know, it's not the diagnosis that we are making. It's something that has been, you know, um, noted even you know um, in, in, in earlier times with the, with the Thatcher regime um, you know when when all these process started really uh, but it's becoming more intense with this use of that's the, the, the interest how it becomes more intense with the use of digital technologies but also how it becomes this normalization means that it becomes uh, invisible as well so we are we are talking about how the labor is being transferred to the individual and how this um, is becoming normalized and everybody's happy to do it. It's not just that they're doing it and they're contributing with their labor, but actually they're very happy to be doing it um, and they're not questioning this as a, you know, as a, as a form of labor at all. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, I think it's really interesting the connection you make with that, that Foucauldian notion of care of the self, um, mm. and especially because uh, the, the, was the slogan of the quantified self um, community or, or whatever, whatever the uh, however they refer to themselves is um, self knowledge through numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they they make they almost make that explicit that connection that, uh, themselves. Yeah. But um, one thing that strikes me about a lot of the the, the self tracking and, and and digital health devices is it tries to encourage a certain kind of um, almost automatic um, mm. response. Uh, I, I think um, th- there is of course a, a certain kind of self knowledge through that, but often it's um, it's rather than developing a kind of holistic sense of health or, or self, it's this is the, the, this is the, the target or the aim I'm trying to achieve, and then you get yeah. notifications. Or so it's, it's almost like an automatic subject. Uh, I feel rather than a kind of a one that really knows themselves. Would you? Is that something you would agree with? Or well, that's an interesting interesting way of thinking about this automatic. So it's kind of you, what you're suggesting is that the me, the mediation is um, exactly what I'm also trying to say that the mediation becomes invisible. So the, yeah. the digital media as a mediating agent becomes invisible, and that's how they become normalized. So it becomes also invisible how the design plays out, for example, um, or how um, how um, values and um, and you know, stereotypical understandings of the body are becoming embedded within the design. Um, and this is something also that I'm uh, trying to um, to touch upon with my work around gender, because it, gender helps you make this a little bit more specific uh, in many instances. 
Yeah. Could you could you say so? Could you say some more about that? So you've talked about um, self tracking uh, apps. There were some of the ones you mentioned as being particularly gendered. So um, p- partly that's you're talking about sort of fertility pregnancy apps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you see the um, these kinds of apps in in more generally the ones clearly obviously fertility and pregnancy apps are gendered mm-hmm. in the sense of being being aimed at women. Um, yeah. But do you see them in general as being gendered? Um, so that even those ones aren't explicitly gendered in that way. Yeah, well, I mean, all, you know, all all apps are, you know, are gendered in the sense that they have a, a specific target market, and you know, we know that Fitbit, for example, is more targeted towards women, um, and we know that you know the accessories are rising, you know, all these devices that are becoming accessories, and they are very very decorative. These clearly are more focused um, and more targeted towards women. There's no doubt. I mean, this is, it's, it, I'm not stating the obvious here. Um, no, no. <laughs> but um, what I'm trying to do, what I've done in my empirical work is um, I've looked at these um, fertility, pregnancy um, apps, and um, I've tried to do a med- media analysis of the tech reviews and the promotional material of these apps, um, and also a close reading of specific of the interface of specific apps. Um, and what I've tried to see is exactly what kinds of gendered subjectivity is being promoted, what kind of, you know, because obviously it is a gendered um, um, subject that we have here. It is specifically targeted at women, but what kind of woman is that? Who? What is the future of woman kind of thing, um, if, if you like? So um, I'm trying to see what exactly, what role exactly the, um, the idea of knowledge plays in that and the production of knowledge. Uh, so what kind of empowerment is being um uh, promoted and reproduced, and it's it's quite interesting because um, um, this 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 work is now um, uh, going to be published very soon. It's not out there yet, but um, it's um, it's interesting how in certain uh, promotional videos, for example, for certain apps, you have this idea of um, the app being promoted as complex um, and at the same time as beautiful. So. There is some kind of sense there that knowledge is um, important for women. So there is some kind of, you know, it, it seems as if um, the designers and the, the promoters have already um, taken into account that the target is women who are knowledgeable and have some kind of, you know, technical skills and have awareness of, um, uh, you know, discourses and debates around gender already. Um, but they want to be, you know, they want to be um, empowered through their device. So there's something there, as uh, also you, you mentioned earlier, about the loop of empowerment and knowledge with um, with a body and how the mysterious body, you know, the, the, the body that uh, menstruates basically uh, becomes a little bit more, uh, you know, um, it's not mysterious it loses its mystery somehow because of the because of the app um so that you know there's many bloggers for example who exclaim how they got to know their body because this fantastic app uh, you know revealed all the mysteries of the body and they had no clue um whatsoever before that um so it's you know it's quite interesting to kind of uh, trace these um these narratives of uh, becoming knowledgeable and becoming empowered by uh, through knowledge and the the device offers you this knowledge about your body that you didn't have um beforehand but it's also about um you know there's also 
a lot of critique around there about the interface design and there's um, a lot of focus on the design um, of these specific apps um, and how they shouldn't be pink basically it's all about pink <laughs> so, so, so they, they are pink or there's a discourse that they shouldn't be yeah, well, there is, you know, there is a trend um, towards um, apps that are not pink anymore. Right. So that kind of respects uh, women as not this fluffy pink, um, you know, um, person. <laughs> but it's someone who is, you know, a little bit more than just someone who wants to see everything pink. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but then then again, you know, there's, um, there's an issue there about... Um, other you know um, aspects of being inclusive and there's, there's a lot of critique for example about racial representation there um, as well yeah so uh, would would you suggest that there is a certain kind of um, you've explained that kind of that gendered aspect of it very clearly I think and but is there a uh, is there a, a, a very specific kind of subject there that are, that is being uh, targeted or constructed um, through the use um, of the, the designs of the interface uh, and, and how that works, would you say? Is that a particular kind of classed subject as well as being gendered um, or, or, or something like that, would you say? Yeah, I mean, Deborah, listen, I'm, I'm sure yeah, she, she yeah. might have talked to you about this. Um, um, she, she has done also an, in, an overview, um, I think a couple of years ago or maybe last year, specifically of apps targeted at women who monitor. And she also, you know, has described um, how um, women are targeted as a particular version of this kind of neoliberal citizen who is responsible for their own for her own health and for her well-being. And um, so what I'm kind of trying to figure out is exactly what kinds of, what are these key discourses of um, this ideal gendered, self-regulating neoliberal subject and how exactly this is um, linked to a particular data subjectivity so you know and, and also knowledge subjectivity so it kind of trying to link the idea of um, knowledge generated via data but also the data practices the practices of uh, monitoring data on an everyday basis and yeah you're right it is uh, you know it is a class subject um um because it is a subject it is someone who is um skilled who is you know who can use these devices um although for me you know class has not been you know the primary um issue but um there's, there's also a lot to do with um how these um how certain apps are linking their work with raising awareness in um developing countries as well mm. so there's you know there's something there um about the kind of the, the biopolitics of these um these apps on a larger scale yeah that that's um that's something I'm really interested in as well, and I um, um, I, I don't feel aware of these. Th this gets onto the, the the next point I want to make a get into about labour as well. But um, if you're aware of the, the snap called uh, Bitwalking, yeah, yeah, and they um, they they have this system where you can you generate kind of bitcoins by yeah. by walking. It, it kind of uh, um, mines effect. Well, it's it's not bitcoins. It, it's their own version, but it's effectively yeah. bitcoins. Um, yeah. And one of their big um, 
pushes behind this uh, kind of an ethical push is that uh, whilst perhaps someone in 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 England um, doing doing this might earn enough over a week to to get a free cup of coffee or something, but someone in a developing country um, might earn almost as much as they do walking to work as they do while they're at work. So it could have it's just this kind of transformative impact that's, yeah. that a certain kind of self tracking of exercise could have um, for kind of global political economy almost um yeah um but i, I wondered um you've talked about self-tracking sort of as a form of labor particularly gendered labor um mm. could you say something about specifically how um how you see that happening yeah i mean um my interest i mean this my interest in this kind of explosion of self-tracking apps and how you know they're, they're, they're being used by millions and millions of women is um about but well there's a few a few issues there there's the, the issue of who owns the data uh who collects the data um but it's also to do with well we know that traditionally women have been carers and you know there's, there's a lot of um a lot has been written about reproductive labor and forms of reproductive labor and how they kind of enable um you know certain um political and social relations but um i'm interested to see how um how these self-tracking practices um operate within this framework so um how they make this kind of gendered labor and reproductive labor they maintain its invisibility especially through the discourses of the um of the design of the apps that are uh, meant to be discrete this is kind of the magic word in the design world for this for these apps so they you know they maintain through the hidden world of the um of the home and the personal um but at the same time they enable this um, these markets that are capitalizing on on women's bodies because they collect the data uh, for all sorts of uh, purposes and in many cases the um, the information that uh, women have to enter in these apps are totally relevant to what they're what they want to get out of um, so you know they kind of provide more information than um, than is relevant to actually what they get back from the from the app so you know this there's quite um quite an interesting um um i mean the 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 walking bits thing that you mentioned it kind of reminds me actually of um of a black mirror episode <laughs> a few years ago. i know the one you mean <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's really shocking how you know yeah. science fiction maps reality and um I know. And this kind of goes back and forth isn't it um, uh, th- was uh, this the one where they're on bikes, um, on kind of static bikes, yeah. and um, yeah. generating money to spend on avatars and, and yeah, things like this? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, getting gaining money to survive, basically. Well, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life, wasn't it? So, yeah, I'm very, very skeptical about this um, walking beats or anything really that actually makes this direct link from the generation of data to. Uh, monetary and financial uh, gains this is you know this is really kind of making in a way it makes this link very very explicit um because now we know that you know third parties are profiteering from our data but here you have like the user 
profiteering directly from their own data. Exactly, and I think it, why for me that's an interesting case is because it is, of course, it, it, it's partly an awareness that um, companies are profiting from our data anyway. So it's, yeah. it's almost like, oh, well, you may as well make something back off it yourself because they're making money from you. Um, but it doesn't really do anything to, uh, to to challenge that power imbalance. I don't mm. think there, which is kind of what you kind of got, you you just got at in that in that gendered case that actually the, the data which is being collected uh, on women through these apps yeah. um, is kind of so much more so much more and so much probably yeah. more valuable in, at least certainly economically um, than what they get back out of the apps. Yeah. Um, so. The the, you know, the the corporations have very much got got this tied up. I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's also like specifically for gendered labour, it's mm. something you know that is quite invisible. You know, care labour is invisible, um, reproductive labour is invisible. It, you know, it's so normalised. It's something that you know everybody accepts that women should be doing you know living the the, the work for example or going part-time or things like that because they have caring responsibilities and it goes it's totally unquestioned in our societies um and this kind of you know these self-tracking apps you know they they kind of um create this world where the woman is even more responsible for her fertility for becoming pregnant or for not becoming pregnant. Um, so, you know, for every, everything becomes kind of um, um, a little bit more of her responsibility. In many cases, though, you will see something like uh, we or, um, you know, this encouragement to share with a, with a, with a, with a partner. In most mm. cases, this is a, a male partner. So, again, you have exclusions of sexuality. Uh, there, yeah. or um, you know, many uh, commentators have critiqued how it excludes, uh, for example, um, um, trans people who sure. still have periods, for example, who are asked to fill in all sorts of very, very irrelevant um, data in there and information that you know uh, may become quite um, annoying <laughs> at some point for them. So, you know, there's all sorts of exclusions that are being performed. And um, there is a matter there, like, for example, the quantified South people are um, um, very critical about who designs these apps um, and whether these are, you know, apps that are reflecting the interests of male designers um, or not. So the, um, you say that there has been a lot of critique around that from yeah. the community that yeah, yeah on that on that gendered level. Uh, have you identified that that's been taken on board at all by the by the app designers and developers? Well, there is a, there's a couple of apps where um, what is really being uh, promoted on the website is how um, women are part of the design team. Mm. Um, so yes, I think it has been, and I think you know there's because the quantified self is a community is a very dynamic community and it is a geek community mm. i think that you know when these things are being touched uh, within this community they are taken further uh, very very quickly yeah so are you optimistic about um about the potential for them to take these these kind of concerns and critiques on board uh, and deal with some of the the issues you've highlighted mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I think 
you know, specifically, are you asking me specifically about the quantified self now? Uh, yes, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not celebrating the quantified self, uh, but I think that it has potential, especially because I've uh, I've seen the, um, the emergence of uh, women-only quantified self groups um, in various um, um, different uh, cities in the United States, and I think there is potential there. Um, I think because they are a distinct group from the quantified self that is really kind of geeky and male and, um, you know, forms this kind of um, maleness uh, quite a lot, geeky, geekiness quite a lot. I think there, it is important that there are, um, you know, women-only groups within that that can um, be reflective and also critical um, of what what the quantified self means, for example. Um and, you know, these are groups that are, you know, they are of themselves quite, you know, middle class and um, and geeky themselves. But I think there is potential there because it's we're talking about groups that are using um, storytelling and reflective storytelling as a way of um, approaching key issues of our times. And this is why, uh, you know, I've written about them as a form of publics as well. Um Yes, that's something that's really uh, that's really interesting to me. So um, you see them as a, as a certain kind of public, um, and do you also see that as a kind of a, a political entity that could have some um, some, some kind of political impact in, in broad terms of political? Well, not not in the traditional form of political of the political. No, uh, certainly not in the in you know in the traditional understanding of the political that links politics with elections and uh, party political no no political but certainly as a you know as a form of um engaging in debates about mm. important issues um about also you know um spaces that enable a different a different way of having debates so um you know where you can construct narratives about these technologies, about design, about data, about what happens with our data, for example, um, and linking them with, you know, larger ideas and larger narratives about, um, you know, environmental crisis, about economic growth, about capitalism, um, about party politics, um, and, you know, specifically when we're thinking about the states, about, you know, their, their health care system there. Uh, but I think it's also something to do, I mean, what I've written about is um, that I think self-experimentation and learning um, by through storytelling, this kind of mutual learning with, with technologies and from each other is quite a, um, an empowering space. It allows people... Um, you know, it, it, it is a form of um, creating a community that can be potentially political. And we've seen that with other kinds of communities that are, you know, more explicitly political, like the makers movement, for example, um, yeah. where this is exactly what they do. They experiment, they learn from each other and they, you know, debate um, important issues. Now, the quantified self is clearly very different in character um because you know they don't share this really this element they you know they, they come from a very different kind of uh background of you know uh, um silicon valley um mm. background 
um, and they're very much embedded in this culture and this economic, you know, um, culture. Um, but um, I think we can learn from from what is happening in in these groups. So I don't think that they will ever become a political force, if that's what you're asking me. You know, I'm not. I'm quite. Um, yeah. <laughs> quite skeptical about this um but um but i think we can learn from you know these these um conditions of self-experimentation and mutual learning well uh, you wrote a paper with uh kato rawdon i think um where you conducted an autoethnography uh, mm. of your use of wearable devices um and this is this is a really interesting um, uh, uh, study uh, for me. I've read other kind of autoethnographies um, in in a different kind of format, but um, what particular kind of insights did this approach, this method, help you to achieve? This autoethnographic um, approach to looking at, at sort of self-tracking wearables. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, autoethnography, I think, is really gaining. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's becoming very popular with. Yeah with people who are looking at technologies. I think it's it's a valuable way of, um, you know, um, because it's so much about uh, personal experience and about the self as a source of narrative, traditionally, it's, it's really relevant when it comes to using technologies um, and especially because it allows you to reflect on how you are uh, becoming obsessed with self-improvement in this particular case. So, it, you know, it kind of became something um, that blurred for me a lot my identity as a researcher and also you know, and, and, and as a person. <laughs> so it was, because it, was, it ha- was happening 24 hours per day, it became very difficult for me to, 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 un- to know where, where it is that I'm obsessing as, a, mm-hmm. as actually someone who self-monitors or am I obsessing because I want very good data for my research. <laughs> so it's it's it, so in that in that sense it, it was a very interesting um, experience methodological experience, um, but it kind of you know helped me to approach uh, to keep to, to approach my key question. So what is it that um, users are? Uh, what kind of knowledge and data are users invited to produce when they are actually looking at their data? What is it that the device did and what this does, and what is it that um, the dashboard does? For example, when you get connected um, to the to the interface on your computer, um, what what is there for you to help you interpret the, um, your own data, and how much of this interpretation is actually prescribed by the interface on the device already, and how much is it that you actually do yourself? In most cases, it, the interpretation was really prescribed by the device. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, how um, how much is it that I am actually operating as a you know as an as a self uh, guided uh, subject, or is it that someone is actually giving me instructions, but um, that this, this, these instructions are really, really subtle, and they become, you know, they come in the form of motivation, motivational messages, for example, for Fitbit, um, but also for other devices. I mean, you know, Apple Watch tells you to breathe, 
um, yeah. right? <laughs> so, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's um, things that actually make you question um, really where exactly do I start as an agent, as, as someone with agency and as a subject with agency and where is it that um, um, I'm kind of becoming the device myself? <laughs> so yes, it was quite interesting. Also, in terms of as I've written in this article, also in terms of um, um, thinking about working and working um, as a you know a product a productive uh, worker within this kind of uh, role of the researcher, and how much my personal life, my leisure, and my um, and my work are being blurred. And this is another aspect of the laboring, um, you know, data uh, subject is that they, that people are laboring throughout their day and very much outside the working hours. Um, and this is, you know, the invisibility of this is quite, uh, quite starking, really. Yeah, that's, Exactly that is what what I what I find really fascinating about this, and the way that's actually brought through in, in the method of what you're doing there as well, because, um, and I think that this approach, as you said, it is it is kind of growing, and it's used uh, particularly through um, people looking at technology, and because yeah. it is so, it, because of the the ways in which many of us engage with technology, with those you know th- those kinds of devices and apps which you may have well have been engaging with anyway. Um, yeah. Um, but also you're interested in academically and through things like blogging and podcasting, like, uh, you know, like we're doing now. Uh, these are things which are, um, you know, not necessarily directly related to our work, but they're also not outside of it either. Um, and in many ways, they do perhaps benefit our, um, you know, our kind of employers or, you know, they, they benefit the, 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 uh, us um Sort of as uh, as workers in certain ways, um, but that blurring between personal life and professional life, and and as you said, leisure and work and all these things, um, is kind of in. It, it, it seems to be almost built into um, many of the technologies that um, that we're engaging with and, and dealing with, and this issue of it being, as you said, kind of invisible or at least obscured. Mm. It, I think it is extremely important. Um, and as you say, that the, the the gendered labour and the and the, the the history and the tradition of critiquing the invisibility of gendered labour mm. is really crucial for this. And I think still still kind of um, uh, the, the, there is still certainly an imbalance even with with, with these kinds of uh, invisible labours we're talking about in terms of gender. Um, it, it's it's tricky to um, it's tricky unpicking this this kind of thing. But I think perhaps making it explicit. In the way that you kind of do in that article is a, is an important step towards that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's something. I mean, I, I'm quite interested in generally in the invisibility and the normalisation, you know, of, of technologies and of labour and how these cross over. And yes, you're absolutely right. This kind of um, approach, this kind of reflection on personal experience and personal identity and how this changes um, was really, really important for that. Yeah, and w- one of the things which, um, when I spoke to Nick Fox in the, the first podcast in this series, um, one of the things he's talked about is a potential for kind of um, 
these kinds of technologies of promoting a certain kind of collectivity or solidarity through um, uh, and in 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 a kind of a sometimes in a kind of a political sense as well, be, by being able to demonstrate these things which might otherwise be kind of invisible. Yeah. Um, and it strikes me that there is perhaps a, a potential there that you know that because um, although we often perhaps as researchers focus on the kind of the, the negatives of there's all this data being produced on people and what's it doing in the surveillance and uh, yeah. uh, and these kinds of ideas. But it could also be a tool to say, look, I've, I, me and or the, this group of people, we've got all this, this stuff. We, or we've done all these things. We've, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we've um, we've been producing this stuff, or we've, we're producing this data um, for these reasons, or we're, we're engaging in these activities. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there's some kind of, um, it, it perhaps um, reveals it again. It's revealed through a certain kind of lens. Uh, but it maybe makes some of those invisible things a bit more visible or at least visible in a different way. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Uh, you've spoken about digital technologies and apps operating in a, in a preemptive mode. Um, and I wondered what, uh, uh, what specifically did you mean by that? In what ways are these, these kinds of apps we've been talking about preemptive and, and what are they preemptive of? Yeah, I mean, this links back to the idea of um, self-care and, and the idea of the, you know, of digital health as um, something that moves the responsibility of uh, caring for, for, for your own health and fitness and generally caring for yourself from the state to, to the individual, right? So yep. um, in, in, you know, in fitness tracking, in in with Fitbit or with other kinds of devices, we are talking about how um, not to um, to correct something that is already happening, but actually how to to preempt preempt that this may actually happen. So it's more of a, a you know a preemptive mode of to prevent um, illness, to prevent bad health, to prevent uh, being unfit. Um, and, um, you know, in, in a sense, it links back to the idea of biopedagogy as it has been used so far because it has been used for um, um, to describe, you know, for example, television programs um, that are trying to address um, um, the fat body. Um, yeah. um, so, or, or, you know, or... Um, bad habits so people who are already have already um or through television series for example are already pathologized yeah so we you know we know of all these tv programs that were you know you you have all these people who are represented as as if you know their bodies are really um pathological and there needs something to be done they're presented as you know a social problem really and something needs to be done about this, right? So they they go to these uh, television product programs. They they become really ridiculed. But the message is that this is the representation of the pathological body. Um, well, in the sense, in in you know, in in that sense, the biopedagogy of the television program, for example, in these cases, um, tells you what is acceptable, which body is healthy, which is unhealthy, but it goes through um, the representation of the already pathologized body. Whereas um, when it comes to Fitbit and data tracking technologies, it doesn't go through that. So you already have the ideal 
there. Um, you do, they don't work. The promotional material doesn't work by showing you what the pathologized body would be. So how you could end up being this fat body, for example. But it works um, the other way around. It works by motivating you. Um, it uses positive reinforcement. It uses, you know, um, gamification, for example, and things like that um, to um, to um, and operate through this kind of uh, preemptive mode. So that's what you know. That's the kind of um, how we've kind of extended this idea of biopedagogy. From thinking through um, through the notion as not something that teaches you about what you did you did wrong and punishes you, um, but actually operates in a preemptive mode and tries to teach you that by by engaging in these micro processes of and micro practices of self monitoring, actually you will not become this pathologized body. You will you know you will become this fit and healthy body. So it kind of um, it's it's a it's a way of teaching you uh, what is the fit and healthy body rather than the other way around. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and and those kinds of ideas are, are kind of almost built into those kind of ideal bodies are built into there yeah. through and presented to you in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's the ideas of the idea or ideal body, but also what it teaches you exactly what behavior you should be doing, what are the practices exactly you should be doing, how you should eat, what you should eat, when you should move, when you should breathe. Um, you know, a very, very, it's a very prescri- prescriptive regime um, towards that ideal body. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so um, thanks for talking to me, Oste. It's been really uh, fun and um, it's kind of, opened me up into thinking some uh, in some different ways and particularly thinking about the um the the, the gendered aspects and and, mm. and how that that gendered aspect relates to labor which is something i'm really interested in uh, in my work as well so um um thanks for taking time to talk to me and hopefully um catch up with you again soon yeah fantastic thank you very much for inviting me and uh, yeah i uh, look forward to listening to all the other podcasts and yes, absolutely. See you again. great Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. So there was the interview. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. As ever, I uh, appreciate any comments on my blog and on my Twitter uh, and also on um, the iTunes if you'd like to uh, write a review or uh, give us a rating. Um, the theme music is Bleeps Galore by Rocco and the incidental music is Disco Stomp by Jonas78 and they're both used on a Creative Commons license. This podcast was written, presented, produced and edited by me and I'll see you again later in the year with my new podcast. Bye.